You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. This is Coach Jen in Ocala, Florida. And I'm Karen Chatton from Gardnerville, Nevada. And you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for April 11th, episode 3157. Good morning, Horse World. When your start time's on Saturday and your finish time's on Sunday, and it doesn't get much better than best conditioned, and completing the challenge is the challenge, you're an endurance rider. And welcome back, Karen. Karen stops by the second Tuesday of every month to chat about all things endurance. And let me warn you ahead of time, even if you're not an endurance rider, there are tons of things in this show that you're going to not only enjoy, but find useful. <clears throat> How you been since we talked to you last? Been doing really good. I'm been actually doing. starting to ride the horse more. Winter is starting to subside a little bit. Uh, finally, we never thought it, it, we were calling this the never-ending winter because it just wouldn't go away. It's crazy. You're in, now. Where? What part of Nevada is Gardnerville in? North, south, east, west. The the northern part, northern western part. We're just this side of Lake Tahoe. Most people know where Lake Tahoe is. South of the capital, which is Carson City, by about a half an hour and about an hour south of Reno. All right, so you're at a pretty a reasonably high elevation there, about five thousand feet. That's reasonably high. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, do what is a typical winter's worth of snow for you guys? You know, not like this year. <laughs> That's for sure. Uh, most of the time, we get snow and it melts off in two or three days. This time, we had snow that lasted for weeks, and we had enough of it. That where it got plowed or uh, shoveled or whatnot, it, it caused these big giant berms the size of your vehicle that just, you know, didn't melt because it stayed so cold for so long for weeks. And so that really put a damper on a lot of us in the region for conditioning and riding our horses. But there I finally go. did get the horses um, you know, worked enough that we were confident enough in their abilities, conditioning wise and, you know, brain wise for the training and everything that we got them to their, uh, to an LD ride. And we did a 25 at the Nevada Derby on April 1st. Now, before we go any further, save the good stuff. I want to let everybody know what else is coming up on the show today. Okay. We're going to talk a little bit about, um, how to contain your horse at horse shows or trail rides and things like that. You don't always have pens or stalls to put them in, and and uh, Karen's going to give us some great advice there. And then we're going to talk about trail maintenance and the importance of it and how you can log your hours in to give credit where credit is due. Because, yes, giving credit where credit is due as volunteers makes a difference to the politicians who decide whether or not we get to use our trails, an important topic, even if you're not a competitive trail rider, if you just like to use open spaces. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the aforementioned Nevada Derby ride and what it was like for a first time ride organizer. Those are all things coming up on today's show. So tell us how it went. Is this the first competition for Apollo and Jovi or not? It was actually, um, 
let me get try to get this straight. It was Jovi's very first AERC ride. It was Nikki's first AERC endurance ride. Now, who's Nikki? She's my friend that's been writing Apollo, my Anglo. And as it turned out, Apollo was the most experienced at doing limited distance rides out of all of us. He's done several of them and a couple of 50s, you know, years before I got him. He's now, I believe he's 13, 14 maybe. But back when he was around six or so, he did some ride. He did several rides. And as this turns out, even though I've got around 37 or 8,000 miles. This was my second limited distance ride. <laughs> oh, you poor thing. <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I know. But you know what? After having this rough winter and not getting to ride as much and getting out and stuff, I was perfectly fine with it. I, you now, know, tell, and, explain what limited distance means versus not limited distance. Okay. It, you know, it just means you're doing 25 to 35 miles a day rather than 50 and up. Um, it's a little, I guess it's a little bit like if you were in the show hunter world, it might be called the short stirrup or long stirrup divisions. Could or be. Or if you were uh-huh. in eventing, it might be the pre-training or pre-novice division. It's for those horses and or riders who are either just starting out or maybe coming back from a long vacation, you still okay. earn mm-hmm. points. You're still judged the same way. The trail is still marked the same way. It's just separated aside because it was created, I think, a little bit after endurance as a sport itself came along. And they said, you know, we need to start at a slightly shorter distance in this modern era. Right. It, it's a good way to, for people to get started, you know, see how their horses do, go through all the vet checks. And then there are still several riders that choose to stay in that distance and ride it competitively, which is fine. You know, that's the nice thing with endurance. You can do what suits you and your horse. Right. Not some, every sometimes you have a horse and or mm-hmm. rider that that is either A, where they're happy or B, where they're sound. Right? Uh-huh, exactly. You can take a horse that maybe uh-huh. can't do 50s anymore, but is a wonderful, valuable, dependable endurance horse that, you know, he can't do those 50s anymore, but by right. golly, he loves doing these 20s. Uh-huh. Yeah. Or the or the rider might say, you know, I just had my hip replaced last year and this is all I want to do because after 25 or 30 miles, it starts to hurt. Right. And mm-hmm. so that's what they're doing. And um you know, and so we were really happy with how the horses did. Um, it was about, I don't, I'm not sure if it's three quarters of a mile or so to the starting line. And so we got on the horses in camp and they rode right on out just like they normally do at home. They were calm and collected on a loose rein. And, and then we crossed the highway and started the ride. And it was just like a training ride. We had lots of water crossings and mud um, mud puddles and stuff to go through and they just luckily because of this winter they've had a lot of practice with water crossings so they just kind of went right on through it no hesitation no problems nothing and um, so we had a really nice enjoyable ride we were lucky to have nice weather for Friday and Saturday so that worked out really good now it's been my experience I'm I am a permanent newbie when it comes to endurance I'm I'm never going to be very good at it or do it a lot, but I I, enjoy, I have a lot of enthusiasm. Uh-huh. For um, now, the question I had for you, whether everybody was behaving themselves, the question I had disappeared from my head. <laughs> um, 
for this particular ride, was it a big ride? Were there a lot of entries? Was it sort of medium-sized? Kind of medium-sized. I would say I believe there were around 20-some riders in each of the distances. There was an intro ride, the 25, and the 50. So, it, it you know, had a pretty decent turnout, especially given this year because so many people in the region haven't been able to condition and also we were having storms both before and after the ride so there were a lot of people that didn't really feel comfortable trailering over i-80 to get here from california because we've had you know chain restrictions road closures you name it it's been a you know kind of a crazy year yeah another thing i noticed about endurance which is a is different from the vast majority of other equestrian disciplines is for the most part competitions happen on thursday friday saturday friday saturday very rarely do you see any competing happening on a sunday no only on multi-day rides if there's a multi-day yeah Um, but a lot of the one-day rides people use that to get back home again and see, it took me a while to figure that out because I went, that's odd because in the hunter world, the eventing world, the Western world, everybody uses Sunday as one of the competition days. But oh, then it uh-huh. dawned on me in the endurance world, driving four, five, six, <laughs> ten hours to the competition is pretty common because yes. so many of the competitions ha- happen out West where there are, you know, everything's really s- spread mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're one of those people who likes to, wants to dip your toe into competing, but you don't want to compete on Sundays, check out endurance because usually there's no competing on a Sunday. <laughs> right, just on multi-days. And here's the thing I learned. My horse finally got through to my head. He's like, Karen, if you relax, I'm going to relax. And then if I relax, you're going to relax even more. And then guess what? We can go down the trail nice and comfortable on a loose rein. And he doesn't spook anymore. Like we did the whole ride. He didn't spook. Nothing faced him it was there you know and we're in the desert so there's trash because people go out and dump trash and stuff because oh it's just it's so frustrating but he just trotted right on by or walked right on by the stuff no problem it was really really nice and so I'm like well you know and I knew I know that (laughs) (laughs) but you know because initially when I started riding him on the trail he could do the sideways zoomy spooks like you never saw a horse go sideways I you know and so I was riding really defensively for so long Mm -hmm. and so now I'm relaxed and I'm letting him have his head and we've even graduated to riding in a hackamore now which he's doing very very well so there you go. There you go. It Whee! just took a bunch of uh, training and and work and time, and here we are. Now we're finally making enough progress that we're brave enough to go out in public. <laughs> go out in public. There you go. Well, what this is a part of the show. We always catch up on adventures first because endurance riders and fox hunters have the most amazing adventures. They're the ones that have the potential to become movies on Netflix. (laughs) (laughs) This is the part of the show where Karen always has a little bit of a tip for us that, as I warned you earlier, is useful to everybody. These tips are coming from a accomplished high-level endurance rider, but these tips are applicable to anybody that hangs out with horses. What's today's tip? 
Well, I'm going to talk a little bit about containment systems and camping overnight. And I, rather than make a big list of all the things you should do or shouldn't do, my my overall advice on this topic is whatever it is you're going to use for containing your horse overnight or for several hours away from home, at, whether you're camping at an endurance ride or trailhead or whatnot, you want to work your horse up to being comfortable in that containment system and practice it at home. You know, the more familiar your horse is with it, the better, both for you and for your horse, because you're going to learn all sorts of little things like the length you should have your rope tied, whether it needs to be a little shorter for one horse over another horse, um, you know, how to adjust stuff, little things like um, well, if you're some, something I discovered because mm -hmm. my horses get tied to the trailer unless there are stalls or pens. I don't have any temporary uh, containment devices and where you hang their hay net, what kind of hay net they eat out of, how and where you hang their water or put it on the ground. Those kinds of things come into play too, because not all horses like right. the same thing. Exactly. And you want to learn how not just to, to hang everything so that your horse can reach it safely and not get caught in it or tangled up or get their rope under the bucket and wrapped around. But also if you're going to be sleeping at an endurance ride inside your trailer, you don't want the horse out there, you know, making noise all night long. So okay. you're going to want to learn to secure stuff so that it stays quiet. You don't keep the camp up all night because your horse is playing with everything and making a bunch of racket <laughs> with the hardware and stuff rattling. Well, I saw a post on your Facebook page that, that Jovi gave you uh, gave you some information about how he does and doesn't want to be contained the other day. Yes, I, I had him with the rope snap, you know, the little clips that you push in and you can connect. And I had the tie blocker ring connected to that because uh, I because I was going to be working on his feet. So I like to have be able to pull the rope a little longer for certain feet and shorter for others because right now he will roam off to eat because the grass is starting to grow. And he's a little foodie. So um, I went to grab the farrier tools. And by the time I came back from the tack room, which is like a minute, he had somehow managed to twist it and just right so that the whole clip had came unclipped. And he had walked off. And now he's over there grazing with <laughs> the lead rope and the, the tie thing just dragging on the ground. He didn't care. You know, he can't get out or anything, but that just kind of reminded me, okay, that's why I don't use those kinds of clips at a ride or somewhere out in public because horses can easily twist them and get them to open. And then another friend pointed out that if a horse is playing with the clip, that, that it might open inwards and they could get their lips in there and then it's going to close Ow! and get them caught. So, oh, I never thought of that. Yeah, so that's one reason why you need to practice all this stuff ahead of time and always be looking out for accidents waiting to happen, as I call them, so that you can prevent them before they happen and, yeah. and fix things and, you know, certain kinds of clips and things like some people have learned the hard way. You never attach your horse to the halter or your collar on your horse with a quick release snap because they can easily rub and get those undone. So you want to thought use of that either. Exactly. So, you know, we learn all these things through trial and error. So, so the you quick wanna, release part should go on the trailer on, or post, not on the horse's head. Exactly. Exactly. If you don't want your horse getting loose, trust me, you really now, don't. For 
securing hay if your horses are tied and you guys tend to use something called a high tie just google high tie if you don't know what that is do you use hay nets what do you typically use um i like to use like a hay bag and they hang on the side of the trailer and i hang them low because that way the horse can get its head down to eat i don't like my horses having to reach up to eat yeah. i yeah. prefer them to get their heads down and that's something else if you're going to do that that you want to practice ahead of time so your horse is familiar with it because a lot of young horses you know they'll do something silly like put their leg in it or something and those are all things it's fine if they figure it out at home but you don't need the added anxiety and stress for you as a horse of figuring that out <laughs> once you're away <laughs> somewhere. That's correct. These are things that you should mm -hmm. figure out at home. And my horses don't trailer out regularly, infrequently at best. So what I do tend to do is if there's if it's been a long period, like months, since we went anywhere, I'll take a couple of afternoons when I'm at, at the barn and hang a hay net up, hang a water bucket up, and time to the horse trailer for half an hour or so and let them munch on hay mm -hmm. just to remind everybody of this is how we do it guys right so that right. when i go to the trailhead or the horse show at least that small piece of the pie has been covered right <laughs> and, and then i always get fancy yeah. special hay when they're at the horse trailer there's always alfalfa in there or peanut oh in there. okay so they think oh. it's pretty darn special to get time it is it's trailer. a treat <laughs> right right and one other thing finally that's really really important is after you come back from a ride is a really good time to test your containment system out because that's when your horse is going to be rubby and itchy and scratchy. And you you want to see how your system holds up to all of that. So like if your horse decides you've got um, portable corrals, they're going to, you know, back into it and rub and scratch themselves and, you know, cause havoc. You want to know that, that your horse is going to do that so you can circumvent it once you're at a ride. And also, horses are going to want to learn how to roll and handle themselves, whether they're in a, a portable um, corral system or on a high tie. They they need to learn, and, and that's why you need to also be aware of how am I going to release my horse should he get or he or she get tangled up or wrapped up in a rope and fall down and get caught. You know, you need to be able to have a knife that's handy in case you need to cut a line or something. Or, or you also need to know how to reach the quick release to release it. And sometimes you can't do that when your horse is on the ground thrashing. You can't get, you can't to, get to it. That's a good point. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be hooves flying so, everywhere. Oh, what, mm -hmm. a terrible, what a terrible vision. So, ah! So ultimately, the best <laughs> advice here is practice, practice, practice ahead of time. There you go. And speaking of practicing, we are we have been practicing for years, calling Kristen over at the Distance Depot to find out what's going on over there because she is a crucial member of the Endurance Episode team. She helps to sponsor this thing, and she has everything endurance plus all kinds of great stuff that people who don't do endurance need. So we're going to give her a call on the phone and see what's going on. Good morning, Kristen. It's Karen and Jennifer. How are you? Good morning. Fine. How are you? Good. Has spring sprung in your part of the universe yet? Um, it has. It's going to be beautiful this week. We're very excited about that. How about in sunny Florida? In sunny Florida, it's super dry, which is not great. Oh, but the weather no. is gorgeous. It's weather. It, the, the 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 the. Uh, the grass is going to be a little bit, little bit late coming in, so the horses are mm -hmm. hangry about that. But the right. weather has been gorgeous. <laughs> oh, 
That's awesome. I got to wear shorts yesterday, the first time this year. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because you've been under snow. Snow, (laughs) yes. In fact, and now today we're back to wind and clouds. So, you know, we take it when we can, you know, get it. We're happy to have even one day of nice weather. Yes, we are too. This week's supposed to be really nice. So I'm excited about that. So I see today we're going to be talking about one of the things I just gave my tip about was keeping your horse safe in your various containment systems. Oh, yeah. And we we know that the Distance Depot has um, several different options for contain it, containment systems. So tell us about them. We do. Um, first off, we have a brand new product, actually two brand new products. Um, and the name of the product is called Tie Safe. Um, the first product is an adjustable breakaway trailer tie with Velcro, which is pretty different from anything I've seen before. We were actually told about this by a customer at convention. They were like, you don't have this. You need to have it. So we brought it in. It is super cool. It's a regular trailer tie that's adjustable, so you can make it shorter or longer. It adjusts from about two foot to two foot eight So you have a bit of adjustment there. But the nice feature of it is on one end, of course, that attaches to the trailer. It has that safety, you know, clasp that you pull, um, the breakaway clasp. But then on the other end where the snap is, where it would attach to your horse, that's where the Velcro is. And the nice thing is if the horse pulls apart in a panic, um, because it's designed to break apart, of course, um, if the horse does panic, it leaves the, a little piece of the lead still attached to him. So that's pretty nice because <laughs> somebody can grab him quickly with exactly, that little part. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's really nice. And then, of course, um, it also comes in a cross tie and the same feature with the Velcro on both sides. Um, and we have two different sizes. One is four foot to just a little over five foot. And then the bigger one is a little over five foot up to eight foot. So if you're area is really wide. Um, it's nice. It will accommodate that. But again, that sounds with that like a great product. Away, yeah, it's pretty cool. So we're excited about that. Then we do have the containment systems. We have the high tie trailer system, which I know you um, use with your neck collars. And we make the neck collars here for the high ties. Um, but it's awesome. The horse can lay down. He has like a 13 foot you know, a, equivalent to a 13 foot um, round pen area that he can move around in. Um, so, but still be obviously attached. Um, and I would think that this breakaway tie would work with that too. If you use the Velcro, we have a little Velcro strap mm-hmm. and so you could wrap that on there. So I think that um, those two items combined would be pretty nifty as well. Um, we also have the carry light corral, which is an eight panel corral, which can stand by itself, but it makes a bigger area. Of course, if you use, if you attach it to your trailer, they give you brackets to attach it to, um, so that it stays, you know, good and attached, um, to the trailer, but it makes a pretty good size round pen. Um, so he can move around freely without having to be tied. And it's made out of a super strong material, um, different. It's a, it's a resin made of high impact, um, resin. So it's a little different. It won't splinter and, um, oh, disintegrate nice. like uh-huh. fiberglass can. Or PVC. But real nice. yeah. Yes, exactly. And super lightweight, um, and eight panels and they collapse down really small. So you can check those out on our website too. And lastly, we have a fence in a bag. 
which um, most of the endurance riders have seen, but the step-in post, it comes with 12 step-in posts, the fence charger, a, a reel to wind up the tape. They give you um, uh, 660 feet, I think it is, of the tape. So you can make a pretty good size corral for your horse out of ride. So and it comes with everything you need inside the, the big carrying case. So that's easy to store as well. Nice and light and easy to put up. Lots of um, options there. We have a whole page dedicated, um, which is called, um, it's under the campsite and barn, and it's called Portable Corrals and Fencing. And you'll find all of those items there. And um, I guess that pretty much covers that. (laughs) Okay. And how would somebody get in touch with the Distance Depot? They can... um, Email us info at the distance depot.com or give us a call toll free 866-863-2349. Terrific. Thanks, Kristen. Thanks very much. See you, Kristen. Bye-bye. <laughs> Our first guest this morning is Tammy Rougeau. Today she's putting on her AERC trails representative hat and joining us to talk about Trails, which is a very important topic. Thank you for joining us, Tammy. Hi, Karen. Good morning. Okay, so let's talk about the importance of volunteers helping with trails across the United States. So, as as one of the main trail user groups, and the user groups are growing, Um, A lot more people are hiking, they're walking their dogs, they're riding their bikes, uh, motorcycles. Since 2020, the user groups have really expanded. On the flip side, the equestrian groups, the equestrian community is shrinking. Um, And what we find is with the trails and all the user groups, there'll be lots of projects projects going on, a lot of uh, trail work. We have a lot of community meetings that talk about how the development, but when you look around the room, the least represented group is the equestrians. Um, They're not getting out and doing the trail work. They're not attending the meetings. Uh, We're just not getting as involved as we once did. So, it's really, really important if we want to continue to have access to these trails and to be one of the main user groups, we have to be involved. We have to come to the table. We have to listen to the conversations and we have to discuss proactively how development and erosion and weather and all that impact us so that we don't end up losing access to the trails. Mm-hmm. Um, American Trails is a great organization that does a lot of coordinating between the different user groups um, and trying to find ways that we can all use the same trails safely and happily. Um, I think the most important thing, and it doesn't matter where you live in the country, is to be a member of your local equestrian trail clubs, whether it's that country horsemen of America, they've got organizations in every state. We have our local um, Nevada All-State Trail Riders groups. There's the Southeast Endurance Riders, the Northwest. Every area has a trails program. And if you can't find an equestrian trails program, 
there are other programs you can join, um, hiking clubs, like we have our Carson Valley trails. There are trails organizations in every state and it behooves us as equestrians to make sure that we're members of those groups and that we're active. Even if you can't go do the work, your membership money contributes to the funds that then help sustain the trails. So tell us about, (laughs) yes, tell us about the AERC trails committee and what they're set up and what their goals and stuff are. So the American Endurance Ride Conference has a pretty active trails committee for, and then in almost every state, I think there's a couple that are missing. We have the state trail representative and it's that person's job to Stay abreast of what's happening trail-wise in their state. Um, And then we report back. The Trails Committee also has funds for trails grants. In fact, we just looked at one this morning um, in West Virginia. They have a very active trails program there. They do a lot of work on the trails and uh, working with the Forest Service and partnering. Um, Part of that, if you're an AERC member, when you do your trail work is to log your trail hours. And that goes for any trail organization that you belong to. If you're out doing trail work, you need to make sure that the organizations you belong to know that you're doing the work and are getting credit for it. Mm -hmm. Because those hours, the hours and the membership add up to numbers. So when our um, trails committee lead, Monica, goes to Washington, D.C., and she's working with other groups to lobby for trails and to keep public lands open publicly. And we say we have, you know, X thousands of people who are using these trails and they're putting in, you know, tens of thousands of hours, whatever that magic number is. Numbers matter and it gives us a presence when we're trying to fight for time on trails and access to trails and Mm -hmm. trying to keep public lands open for our use. So if you're in AERC, it may make it very easy to log your trail hours. You just go to their homepage, click on trails, and the dropdown is right there, and it says log your trail hours. And it literally takes less than a minute to fill in your information, tell us what you did, and we get to keep track of that. Okay. Um, at the end of the year, we break it up by state. So the state then trail advocates are able to use that information specifically towards their state projects. Okay. Yeah, that's a good, a good thing to do. So if somebody does want to work on some trails, where would they start? So... The best place to start is the trails that you use. So if you spend a lot of time in in one area or several areas, make sure you understand who the land manager is. So mm-hmm. is it BLM land or Forest Service land? Is it private land? You know, a lot of places in the country are very fortunate to have um, private landowners that allow access. And... Find out who owns that land and then um, have that conversation. Hey, there's this section that's washed out. What can I do? That land manager will know who the active trail maintenance groups are. 
if mm-hmm. you're not an active part already in something like, you know, Nevada Allstate Trail Riders or whoever your backcountry horsemen, um, we have high desert horsemen, whoever your trail group that you belong to, um, and maybe that maybe you belong to a group that's not very active and you need to be the voice that says, Hey, you guys, you know, we go up to, you know, Susie's trail on the side of the mountain and I've noticed it's washing away. What do you mm-hmm. think about maybe doing some trail work? It happens to belong to the forest service and I talked to the ranger and they would love to have us come in and do work. Um, you do need to have, if you're working on federal lands and, and a lot of state lands, you do have to have a trail master or somebody who is going to help guide you in your work to make sure that you're putting in a sustainable trail um, correctly. Right, right. And, and you I don't s- want to just be going mm-hmm. in with shovels and picks and putting something in willy-nilly that's not right, going to be sustainable right. and is going to end up causing damage. Exactly. And and I know some areas you can't use chainsaws and stuff either, right? Correct. So you've got to do everything manually. That's why uh, Backcountry Horsemen is such a helpful group. Yes, they do they, an they amazing people, job mm-hmm. teaching and then packing, you know, how to pack in and how to, you know, it's manual labor. It's, it's sweat, it's sweat equity to be able to keep these trails open and accessible for horses. Right. And even though many of us don't really understand the damage that horses do on trails, the horses do as much damage as, as any other user group. Um, It's just like anything. If you use it, you've got to take care of it and maintain it. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yes. So I think the most important thing, I think the big takeaway is to make sure if you're using the trails, be involved in taking care of those trails. Um, It doesn't take much to get involved. Uh, Join a local group, talk to the land managers. Um, You know, we oftentimes have our little saws that we carry on our saddles um, and we can identify places Downed trees are a huge, big problem this time of year. So you got a lot of people out trying to clear downed trees. And that can be a much bigger challenge because you have to oftentimes have chainsaws and you have to have somebody certified to use that right. chainsaw. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And this year, especially, we've got a lot of damage to the trails in a wide area. Yes, we have. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Pretty much everywhere. Right. It's and, um, it, it, a huge challenge. And I think that across the country, um, if it's downed trees or flooding, erosion, the area we had um, our endurance ride in two weeks ago, I guess now, a week ago, um, completely changed the landscape with the amount of water that ran through. And looking at the trail plans from Virginia, they had the same thing going on. Lots of downed oh. trees and their uh-huh. trails have completely washed out. So there's going to be opportunity across the country for doing trail work this year. Exactly. And I want to encourage people to look towards their local organizations and join them and support them in any way they can. Absolutely. It's a great way to get out and meet people. Um, 
who also love trails. You might mm-hmm. find your, your next best riding buddy um, right there working trails with you. Uh, you learn a lot about um, trail sustainability when you're out there working on it. It gives you a whole different appreciation. So it's, it's a lot of fun. It's great exercise. Um, and it's pretty rewarding because at the end of the day, you can truly see the fruits of your labor. And there's a lot of pride in riding down a trail that you helped establish or maintain. Mm-hmm. Um, and you really do become a good steward of the land when you do that. Give, tell us again where people can go on the AERC.org site to learn more about trail maintenance, logging in their hours, etc. Oh, it's super easy. Um, with our new website, it's not hidden anymore. So you just go <laughs> to AERC.org and it's right there on the main page. There's dark blue, white blue, and a light blue line. And it's the sixth tab over. It says trails. You click on trails and you get a little drop down menu. You don't even have to click. You just hover over trails and you'll get trail news and notes, uh, trail hours logging. You'll be able to locate an AERC trail expert in your state. Um, We have a trail master program. So if you want to learn more about that or maybe even become a trail master, you can click on that. And it'll let you know um, who are your trail masters and when the next classes are. There's a tab for trail grants. So if you've got a project that you need some money to help get it going or help fund it, you can apply for a grant right there. And then the final one is other links to other trail websites. Um, Like American Trails, uh, we really like that's a, a great site and a great organization. You can get links to Backcountry Horsemen, um, all kinds of resources out there. If you're looking for another, pl- you know, a cool place to go ride, there's the American Discovery Trails. Um, all the links are right in there. So pretty much anything trail associated, you can get with just one little click, and you could spend. You could spend your whole day reading through, and there's a lot of a lot of good resources on there. AERC really does a lot to preserve the trails that we're using. There we go. There we go. And as as you as you alluded to earlier, participate in a way that suits you. And there are lots of ways to participate. And go to aerc.org. You can get all kinds of great information there. And thank you very much for stopping by the show today, Tammy. And don't forget. That was great talking to Tammy, by the way. Don't forget that not everybody is able to physically work on trails. You can participate by literally attending the meeting and supporting your local club that you choose to belong to. That You could be the club secretary. You could help with the club website. You could provide refreshments for the meeting every month. You could provide the facility to have the meeting every month. You could give them actual money to pay for gas to run that chainsaw. Many, many, many ways to participate. And this applies to anybody who uses the trails. Fox hunters, competitive trail riders, endurance riders, trail riders who use it for simply pleasure that have no interest at all in competition. Politicians don't take note of social media venting. They don't care. What they take note of is warm bodies in Mm -hmm. meetings. That's the way the political system works. Love it or hate it. We have to participate in order to stay 
one of those groups that gets to use the trails. And more and more trails are becoming multi-use because the equestrian group isn't big enough to validate from the political point of view to validate single use. So the more you show up at the meeting and put your little smiley face there, the better. And then you can go out and have, have wine and shrimp cocktails after the fact. So. And join the organizations too. That also yeah. helps Become support a them. And shows the memberships the numbers. are so low. It costs nothing mm-hmm. to belong to these. So it's not like I'm not a member of USEF because I don't compete in USEF um, things. Well, becoming a member of USEF, kind of pricey. Your average trail group here in Florida, a lot of, we have lots and lots of local trail groups. It's less than 50 bucks a year. So very mm-hmm. much something you can fit into your budget and a lot of times they'll have family memberships if you want to have several people in your family participate that brings the numbers up even more so there we go and you can also volunteer to write an article like i wrote one for carson valley trails um explaining trail etiquette for other trail users when they encounter horses on the trail holding fundraisers for other charities for example the one of the local trail groups down here in florida every year they do a breast cancer ride raise money for the breast cancer ride. It's been done for years and years and years, so they they really racked up the money. But that gets you really good press outside of the equestrian world. Again, a great mm-hmm. way to help the world outside of equestrianism take notice of horse people and a positive note. And maybe that's something that you feel passionate about and are good at, that doing little fundraisers like that. So there we go. And uh, speaking of... Taking chances and participating. We're going to get on our <laughs> next guest, Laura Mays, who took a chance and participated. Well, thank you, Laura, for joining us this morning. I'm excited to talk to you about your first ride management experience at the Nevada Derby. So what inspired you to volunteer for that? Um, <laughs> I don't even know. Like, I was... Really, I was talking to Tammy. Um, she's the president of NASTAR. The that was the Tammy we that was the Tammy we just talked to, Jennifer. Yes. About the trails. Small yeah. world. Yeah. It's a small world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. She's very she is very amazing. She does a lot for for um the endurance world and the trail world. But now okay. she's talking to her about the um, Nevada Derby endurance ride. It's literally five minutes from my house. And one thing led to another, then I became ride manager. (laughs) 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 One thing led to another. (laughs) Yeah, because it's right. I mean, I could see the starting line basically from my backyard. Okay. Well, good for you. So, Give us a little overview. What was involved um, pre-ride, getting everything ready ahead of time? What What did you need to do? Um, I was very blessed because my ride is a NASTAR, which is the Nevada State Trail Riders ride. And Tammy, again, was my ride secretary. So I was lucky to have a lot of experienced people behind me kind of showing me how to start the ride um, as in things like the permits that you need and um, what else am I thinking about? All that is pretty much reoccurring through NASTAR. So 
I, again, was very blessed with that sense of it, but setting up budgets, planning, um, how many vets for how many riders, the awards, the extra trails this year was really challenging, especially for a new person like me, because as we all know, it was a extremely rough winter. <laughs> right. And there was water in the desert. <laughs> there was a lot of water in the desert. A lot of water. Where we were going to be going because there's so much water out there. Uh huh. <laughs> so, probably about a week before the ride, the last the week that led up to that ride, I pretty much went out there every single day. It was driving around, just making sure that the trails were still holding up because of all the water and the snow melt that was coming down. <laughs> Right. And the storms just kept coming. We, but we got a nice break for two days for the ride. <laughs> we really did. We lucked out. The ride day was absolutely beautiful. Like, I don't think we could have asked for better weather. Mm-hmm. And the wind didn't pick up until later on in the evening. So I think it worked out great for most everybody that was able to make it. Right. So tell Jennifer what happened the week before when we, um, went out to ride the trails and we had all just got on our horses or were getting on our horses. Tell her what happened. Um, so, you know, it's the desert and where the Nevada Derby rides at, there's really not a lot out there. There's some Mustangs and some cows pretty much as we were getting on our horses, somebody in a tiny little private, the airplane decided they were going to use the main road that we parked on I'm assuming <laughs> as a strip and they were coming down or they were taking off. They were doing something, but they were probably about five feet above our heads. <laughs> <laughs> so someone was using a random, reasonably flat dirt road in the middle of nowhere as a, to practice their, that's called touch and goes where they land and go off and land and go off just randomly. Yeah, very, very randomly. And that's just, really, I think that's really, illegal. I'm pretty sure that that's illegal. I'm pretty sure that is too. And we were probably where the ride camp is at. Uh, we were probably, I, I managed it. I forget exactly what the mileage on it was, but we're less than a mile from the freeway. Wow. So I'm like, I'm pretty sure what they were doing at that location was not okay. <laughs> pretty sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, that we was, tried to uh, get a picture of the, the plane number, but unfortunately, when they went up, they went over the the Highway 95 onto the other side of the valley, so we weren't able to get a picture of the uh, plane number. Yeah, it happened so quick. We were all kind of going, what happened? There's a plane just went over our heads. Even the horses were very confused. Thankfully, no one went up. <laughs> I know. That was uh, the things that happened. As a volunteer, you're just out there and all these things happen to you. Yes. I'm like, wow. so thankful now the horses got scared over that airplane. Right. So, so you spent a great deal of time with figuring out the trail and figuring out what was involved with figuring out the awards and stuff. Um, for me, so it is a NASA ride, so we get uh, our yearly budgets for our awards and whatnot. And then um, it's kind of become the joke that I know people because that's what I keep telling everybody. <laughs> <laughs> but I was able to reach out to a lot of my friends 
in the horse industry that have small businesses, um, like Rebel Headdress, um, Rosmo, he makes his halters, and I'm trying to think, I'm starting to blank, but a couple other people I was able to reach out to, and so on top of my regular awards, I was able to get quite a few good donations, because I wanted to kind of start off first-time ride manager with, like, a big bang, and I think my awards hit pretty good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah the, the, we got flatback buckets for completion, which was really nice. Yeah. And then a bunch of other little go- goodies, which um, so I know you did a really good job. So I just wanted to say thank you for that, as well as all of your other work. Now, let's talk a little bit about the NASTAR Club, Nevada All-State Trail Riders. Tell us a little bit about them, and then we'll talk about the Triple Crown and stuff, too. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm new to NASTAR. I've been in Nevada for about, I'm going on four years now. Um, but NASTAR, you, you kind of hear about NASTAR if you're on the West Coast area. But they are a nonprofit, um, technically trail association. So, like, their goal is to um, preserve and help maintain trails within Nevada for us to be able, all trail riders, to be able to continue to use. Mm-hmm. And help support public lands. It just so happens that we are also endurance riders. So we host, well, NASTAR hosts, um, we have the Nevada Derby, the NASTAR Ride, Red Rock, and Tahoe Rim. And right. One. Virginia City. <laughs> oh, yeah. Virginia City. That's the one. Virginia so City. Virginia uh huh. Yeah, and the Triple Crown is the Nevada Derby. Um, so if you want to enter the Triple Crown, it's a three-ride series. The Nevada Derby is a 50. Then the NASTAR ride is uh, the 75 there. And then uh, the Virginia City 100, that's the Triple Crown. And now they also have a challenge series, which includes uh, the Nevada Derby, uh, the NASTAR ride, and uh, um, is it Red Rock? I believe Red yeah, Rock, Tammy's the, ride, the Red Rock uh, Rumble. Is, yeah, the Triethica mm-hmm. is the 50 milers for the Nevada Derby 50, the NASTAR 50, the Red Rock 50, and then there's the Hat Trick, which is the LDs, so like the, the Nevada Derby 25, the NASTAR 30, I believe it's the 30 this year, and then the Red Rock 25. And then my, I, um, with the help of Courtney, and of course, Tammy, we started a new intro ride series this year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we called it the Did You Die series because we want people, <laughs> a lot of people think us endurance riders just, I mean, fly. I've had people tell me that they can't do endurance because they can't do 10 miles in under 30 minutes. And I was like, I don't know anybody. <laughs> Neither <miles."> can I. <laughs> that sounds like an amazing horse right there. Like, I would love to see it. <laughs> And so we named it the Did You Die series to kind of try to get people to kind of come out and see what it is that, you know, endurance is about. That, you know, most of us actually really don't ride Arabians um, and endurance. I mean, we have everything from gated horses to quarter horses. I've seen Frisians out there on the trails doing this. Um, so the, we started off with the Nevada Derby. We did a five-mile intro ride, which I had 19 riders come to that. I was so happy. And then the next series will be at the NASTAR ride, and that's going to be a 10-mile loop. 
And then at Red Rock, we're planning a 15-mile loop. And so if anybody wants to join NASCAR and then do all three of the intro ride series, at the end of the year award party, we're going to be raffling off um, extra goodies for those new members that finish that series on top of the awards and stuff that they get for doing the intro rides. Okay, well, that's a great way to bring new riders into the sport and get them hooked. Did the intro riders have a good time at the Derby? I think they did. I didn't hear anyone complaining. A lot of them, I was shocked because a lot of them are really nervous about the five miles. But I don't think most of like us endurance riders, a lot of us ride with our GPS going the whole time. A lot of them, I don't think, had that on their phones or their watches. And so a lot of them, when they came back in on the five miles, I kind of made it five and a half miles. I kind of got a little sidetracked on the, the loop. Um, <laughs> I was like, woohoo, five and a half miles. You guys actually went farther than five miles. All of them just kind of looked at me and were like, that was five and a half miles. Oh, no, we're not done yet. And turned around and redid the same loop twice. I think oh, only two people good. didn't go back out the second time. So I think a lot of them had fun. And a lot of them actually went a lot farther than they thought that they could with the horses which made me really happy <laughs> uh-huh, good good that's great well do you have any advice for somebody that wants to be a first-time ride manager or else just get involved as a volunteer oh yeah ride management is not as hard as it seems even though you feel like you i'm pretty sure i walked eight miles in a 20-foot perimeter on the actual ride day (laughs) but it's really not as hard as it seems and don't be afraid to do it and don't be afraid to ask for help there's a lot of ride managers out there that are willing to take on new members and bring them underneath their wings and show them how to do the ride managing it's a lot of fun and i have a whole new look about how much actually goes into pitting on these rides Right. And getting all the volunteers organized and the vets, like you said, the, you know, the porta potties, the water troughs, as you know, there's, there's uh, a lot of details and it's great that you have the club for support to help with all those little details. Yeah. 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 And take care of volunteers. Uh Uh-huh. Right. Right. The rides would not happen without the volunteers there. Mm-hmm. And and so you're going to be riding at the uh, NASTAR ride in June. Um, honestly, the more I think about it, I think I'm going to be out there volunteering. And um, Courtney's taking it on this year, and it will be her first time managing NASTAR. I'm not positive it's her first time actually as ride manager, but I know. It'd be her first time at least doing the NASTAR ride. And because okay. I have such an amazing support system for my ride, I think I'll probably just be out oh. there trying to help Courtney out. Oh, well, good for you. Well, if you guys need help with marking trail or doing something, um, uh, my friend and I would be happy to come out and help ahead of time or afterwards because um, I have a park pass so I can uh, – um, go there and I love getting my horses out to new places so they can see new things even if it is airplanes taking off over their heads <laughs> I don't want to do that again <laughs> <laughs> I know yeah that was sort of kind of cool in a way um, so uh, 
So for people listening, if you want to learn more about the NASTAR rides, you can go to um, nastr.org or go to aerc.org. And um, Laura, one final thank you. We appreciate you for all your hard work and efforts. You did a great job. We had a good time at the ride. All right, so for upcoming events, there are several rides on the AERC.org website. Go look under Ride Calendar. We also have several endurance clinics coming up in several different areas. I see clinics in Michigan, Oregon, Pennsylvania, and Iowa. You can look on the AERC website and look under uh, comp- the com- compete or competition link under clinics to find information on that. And also I wanted to mention that the Old Dominion group has an updated 2023 YouTube channel and they have been adding new seminars every month. The one on March is on how to pack like a pro, which is something we can all do, um, get better at. And so you can go and watch that. It's uh, titled how to pack 10 pounds of stuff into a five pound bag. (laughs) (laughs) I think everybody who travels with their horse needs to watch that one. (laughs) (laughs) And then, and then you get it out at the ride and you will never get it put back. (laughs) Isn't that funny how you can make it all fit when you on the way out and then on the way back, it's It's a little more difficult. It's yes, complete chaos. It's kind of fun. It's like a big puzzle. Yes, it is. (laughs) Practice makes perfect, though, as with everything, with endurance. Practice, practice, practice. Practice. (laughs) So for people who want to appropriately stalk you and keep an eye on what you're doing and enjoy your uh, sage advice, which is sprinkled liberally with humor, where can they do that? Um, uh, Nevada Endurance Writer or NV Endurance Writer on Facebook. There we go. And And, and you can uh, find... Go ahead. And now you will see lots more posts about Jovi because he's finally coming along. I'm getting out Yay. there writing him. Yay. Yay. <laughs> and Apollo too. We're, They're so we're cute. Excited. I know. They're yeah. like Mutt and Jeff. There's little short round Jovi uh-huh. and tall and angular Apollo. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. They're a couple of characters for sure. They are. And you can find links to today's guests and topics at horsesinthemorning.com. And you can go to horseradionetwork.com to find lots more podcasts. We have over 30 different shows on the network covering every topic imaginable. So you just go to horseradionetwork.com and find that. Or just go to your podcast player. And if you type in Horse Radio Network, you can click one button and get all the shows at one time. You can subscribe to what we call the All Shows feed. You will never run out of content. Exactly. (laughs) And thank you very much to The Distance Depot for sponsoring today's show. We couldn't do it without her. And we'll see you next month. Everybody be safe out there. Wear your helmets.